Sure. Sure. Why not? Yep. Bring it. Gavin, we're on season one, episode 12. 12. So you want to be a real estate investor. Huh? Really? Do you? All right. Let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to Get Real. My name is Josh Morgan, aka the Renovating Realtor. And I'm Gavin Townsend, longtime real estate investor with a background in education in the arts turned licensed sale professional. We're two realtors in the Western New York area who love talking all things real estate. We cover a wide variety of topics with an aim to educate and entertain you. No matter your role as a buyer, seller, investor, enthusiast, or another real estate professional. You can trust that we're always going to be upfront and honest no matter what topic we're discussing. So listen up and get ready to to get get real. Listen, it's been getting shaky here for the past (laughs) couple of years for real estate investors, especially in New York. I think so. uh, it is trying. And why would that, we just, I love that we're just jumping right into it. Josh, why would that be? Because a lot of people, I feel that um, maybe they're new to investing in general, or maybe they've invested somewhere else, and then now they're newly planted and plotted in New York. Why, what are the unique challenges that we might have that other areas don't for I'm investing? Sum, I'm going to sum it up in one word, and that's legislation, I think. It, I think and you're it's, absolutely right. It's, uh, you know, there is a lot of different legislation in different states, and you can really even broadly say some states are landlord favored, some states are tenant favored. Right. Um, you know, you really want to find, you know, for if you're a landlord, obviously, yeah, okay, let's go to a landlord favored state, but it's really nice to have some, uh, you know, an investment place that's evenly favored in both parties, where it's not one yeah. side or it's not one another. And really, I think it's another, you know, if I can generalize, it's it only takes a couple bad apples to ruin the whole bunch. You're absolutely right. And so a couple big, big folks probably did something that was a little ill. And then you get these big sweeping changes from legislation. It affects a whole lot of people. And sometimes the little guys can't shoulder the costs of being compliant with that. And then mm-hmm. it will force them out or it forces them into unintended litigation, too. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, so yeah. it's it's really it's not uh, you have to know your stuff when you're when you're investing. You have to protect yourself. You have to be on the cusp with your education. Mm-hmm. It's not a passive thing. I know <laughs> you're laughing. I know exactly why you're laughing, because every, you know, guru and every person and everything says invest in real estate and generate passive income. And it's not passive. <laughs> it's so much more than that. It's an active business, just like being a real estate agent is. It, it really is. And I love that you, you've you highlighted that because, yes, the passive income is what we're all kind of after. But I, I, I think it's a full contact sport at this point because I think things have changed. And it is because of tenant laws. And it's because of, again, everybody wants to be above board. Everybody wants to um, have a safe, um, comfortable, 
uh, place to live and they want the opportunity to have that and anyone investing in real estate offering those opportunities to the public um, has to be up for that and not everybody wants to be a landlord they don't have the stomach for it um, because they're thinking in terms of oh they're going to call me in the middle of the night for the broken light bulb or a bug on the ground or are these people that are doers and maybe they do a little bit too much and now they've really <laughs> over enhanced my property without my permission and maybe done not something that I wanted them to right. it runs the gamut. I think those are all things that you're like, do I want to deal with the people? But I think you've got to ask yourself the question much more that you've zeroed in on, Josh, which is, are you familiar with the laws in this state, wherever you are investing? If you're listening to us from another area, do you know what your um, rights are? Do you know what the tenant rights are? Do you have a lease that captures that and protects everybody? It shouldn't be an adversarial relationship, landlord, uh, tenant. It really shouldn't. It shouldn't get to that. But Not it can a, slipperily be a slippery slope uh, if you don't know all your information up front. And my mantra that I've adopted in my you know brief time investing and in owning in, in rentals is fair but firm. Yep, I like that. And you have to be okay with confrontation. Mm -hmm. There's going to be difficult conversations. For sure. And and then you're just going to have to be okay with being uncomfortable for a little bit. And what I've found most of the time is when you are pairing these two together, fair with firm and being being comfortable with being uncomfortable, that most of the time it'll work out. Mm -hmm. And just like anything in in a real estate transaction, it can be a negotiation a little bit. You're like, okay, hey, this is why that's not okay. (laughs) Um, But let me tell you what we can do to get you a little closer to what your desirability is. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to go all the way to that extent because that's going to cost me a lot of money. Um, But we can do we can do this. Right. And, And that's just finding the midpoint with your tenants, with your people that are involved in this that, you know, keep them happy and satisfied and keep you, you know, the whole point of investing is to earn a profit. Yeah, for sure. I think if we back up a little bit and get back to our essential uh, and essential question of what is real estate investing and what are we talking about? Because there's certainly not any one type. I think Josh and I are both talking about um, the fact that uh, in our experience of buying income properties and being landlords and having tenants. So maybe we should tell our audience a little bit our background with investing. Yeah, so I have been investing for I think for about 4 years now. I own one rental with three doors. Um, and I own another, you know, my single family residence too. So you have I manage those. And it's just uh, it's been a, a different experience. And then I also did what they call now is house hacking and lived in one unit and rented out the other two. I bought mine on a foreclosure, so it was a fairly good deal. I consider it to be a good deal. And I got the utility of living in one side while the other people uh, paid the mortgage on yeah. their home. And, awesome. and produced a little bit of, a little bit extra for capital expenditures and repairs and maintenance. Um, How so, did you come up with the idea to do that? Did you have friends or family that said, hey, why don't you do this? Or did you come up with a great idea like, hey... I can get my mortgage paid for it. And obviously you bought in a time of the market when you could do that. Yeah, I think I, it was right before everything went nuts. And, um, 
you know, and, and it was my it was my creation. I've been trying to get into it for a while, um, probably almost eight to ten years is when I was trying to explore how to get into that. You know, when you started with something where, again, listening to the gurus, wholesaling, you can wholesale with no, it doesn't take any money, blah, blah, blah. You know, okay. it, it doesn't. It may not take any of your own money, but it does take a lot of your time. So a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. It's even I would say even more so than being a licensed agent. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to run around. You got a make, lifestyle. You got to make network <laughs> connections. You got to mm-hmm. find cash buyers, not finance people. People want to buy with cash. So I started out with that, you know, and I almost did a deal one time, and it, <laughs> and right. it fell apart. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, ah, you know, maybe this isn't it because I'm running all the way around. I got this other stuff going on. So then I tried starting a couple other businesses, and it's like, well. And it was all in an effort to, you know, velocity of money, right? right? If I can do this, I can earn money, then put away so that I can then break into real estate. Right. You know, and other people do that. They own cash flowing businesses, then they funnel money into more inactive or passive. That's what they call, you know, passive um, operations. It's, right. You know, people that own a service industry business and then take some of the profits and then invest in real estate. It's kind of like a stocks versus bonds thing, sure. right? You know, that's kind of your hedge right here. We can use some of that money in case something goes bad over here. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot to build that. Oh, yeah. And so what I realized was that yeah, I wasn't having fun in those other businesses. And so <laughs> it, it just wasn't fun because it wasn't. It didn't serve the purpose. It was a lot of other work, too. And so finally, I just said, well, I'm going to just buckle down, go to work, save my money, and just do it the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Save up money. And find a house, and then just just start. Right. And so that's what I that's what I did. And then you're that's awesome. And at a young age, and um, and then able to then leverage that and maintain that property where you started into your next home. And then I'm sure you have goals and aspirations to continue to develop that portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely do. You so know, and it's great. just it's a it's a long game. Yeah. And it takes a while to get there. It's similar to my background um, that, you know, my parents forever and a day, my earliest memories are being on a job site working on a house. So we've done a couple of different things. We've done flips. We've renovated homes and sold them. Um, and, uh, and we've renovated the own, our own home that we moved into about 43 years ago, and it's still a work in progress. And, yeah. you know, I'm very proud of the fact that my parents have done every inch of work on that to by and large most of it themselves I remember when we first moved into the house and we moved into one room because it was we had cohabitants we had raccoons and (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that we had plumbing legitimate my grandmother threw a fit she couldn't believe they were bringing a two-year-old in this dilapidated house etc etc but we're so proud of that story because we we moved room by room in an old Italianate house um, that has has absolutely come to fruition, the dream house that my parents saw when they bought it. They had that vision. And I remember when we moved upstairs, ooh, big deal, you know, yeah. things like that. So um, you're kind of born with that bug. I was, and I didn't ever think that that was what I was going to do per se, but I think if it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And worked out pretty okay that I also married a carpenter too. So. Yeah, <laughs> That worked out great. But um, so, yeah, on our, on, as a family, um, my parents independently as a family and as, um, you know, individuals, my husband and myself, we purchase properties for rental, for flips, that sort of thing. And we work collectively. It's the four of us. We're spread pretty thin. Um, 
things have changed in the decades that when my family started having tenants and doing things. Yeah, a lot of things have changed. And um, we have, we've had property in Florida as well, so we've had that to compare to um, of what the tenant laws are there. When we're talking about those rental units, it's a far different situation there. And again, the market's different too. It depends on where in Florida this happened to be in a pretty exclusive area. Right. Um, totally different game. Um, but you know, you have to want to take on what you were saying, Josh, that lifestyle. Um, and what I alluded to earlier in the podcast as to a contact sport that I feel that it's becoming because it, it is round the clock. So yes, it's Christmas Eve and you're on your way out to go celebrate with family members, et cetera. And you might be hours away or out of state and you get a phone call from that tenant saying, the toilet's backed up. <laughs> the, septic, the septic system's this, this, that, whatever. And it's always, I promise you, always during those times where it's a crisis right. and it's an, an inconvenient time. That's part of the thing. You've got to have a stomach for it. And it's not just the emotional um, stomach for it, the financial wallet for it too, because who's coming Christmas Eve to help somebody out in an emergency like that? Yeah, Roto-Rooter, you know, and that's, <laughs> and you're gonna and pay. that's tough because you are going to pay. And, and you've got to be careful and you've got to be thinking about your tenant. You know, th- they didn't do this on purpose and they, they have the right to quiet hopefully. enjoyment, right? Ho- hopefully. You know. <laughs> but you know, there's things like that. So it becomes, you have to be uniquely prepared and equipped to deal with that situation that comes always during the worst situation. Look at the situation we just had in the storm here at the Christmas storm. Yep. Um, you can be up to date on all of your mechanicals, have that furnace checked, etc. cetera. Um, when the power goes out, the power goes out. And it happened to me. And in in one of our tenants says, hey, the heat's acting funky. Yeah. I, uh, I don't <laughs> think something's going on. I don't think it's working. Uh, I said, okay, you know, what's going on? She's like, well, it's 50. I was like, yeah, your heat hasn't worked for two days. If your house is 50... <laughs> You know, right. man, okay, let me come over there and see what's going on. You right. know, and you just got to try to get to the bottom of things. And, you know, I'm capable in some aspects, but in other aspects, I'm not. And you can't leave a tenant without heat. And so Absolutely. If, I'm, if I'm not capable of it or I'm going to spend too much time figuring it out, guess what? I'm making the call. You got to make the call That's because right. you got to do it fast. And it's not just the quality of the living situation for your tenant. Of course it is. That's your priority. Number but it's one. also protection of your property. First pipes are a serious deal and can cause thousands, thousands of dollars in damage. Exactly. And and your bills can pile up super fast if that happens. That's right. And so you have to, like you said, exactly. You have to protect your investment and you have to make ensure that your tenants have the quality, you know, that Absolutely. They deserve, that they deserve. And that's when, you know, that's why a lot of folks will say, I don't think I have the stomach or the chops to be a landlord. It is a deeply personal business. Um, you'll hear me say time and time again, it's not meant to be adversarial. It should be relational. You, It, it is a cooperative uh, relationship that you need each other and it's all about working together. So Ideally, as a landlord, you're finding somebody that likes and wants to care for your property just as much as you do. Maybe not everybody's going to have the level of pride of ownership that you do. When it's your house, it's yours. And no one cares about your business as much as you do. That's right. First and foremost. But if you can find the second best person, yep. that's what the right relationship is. It's a partnership. Exactly. And in the context that you just said, Josh, when somebody... Your tenant was communicative. That's key. Right. If something's going on like that and they're not there and they don't know or they don't report that out because they don't want you up in their business, 
that's a problem too because you want to be quick to react. And I always tell my tenants, please tell me when something's going on. I don't expect you to fix everything, but I please just tell me. Yeah, you got to tell me. That way we can figure out what we need to do. Exactly. So that's that's really what it is. It's not the big mean landlord coming after the tenant. No. And it's not that all tenants are abusive, et cetera, and kicking, kicking the walls in. It's, it's all about a partnership and a relationship so that everybody wins. And I think you've got to really have the stamina and design for that when you're taking on, if you're going the route of real estate investment for rental properties. And I'll say this without, with anything you do with anything, it's difficult starting. Yeah. It's difficult starting, but just like with exercise and practice, because of what you, you get, learn along the you way, you get stronger as you go yep. and you get You know, you learn techniques, you build up reserves, monetary reserves, so that, you know, money builds choices, right? So when you have money, you build choices. So you can decide whether you want to address that yourself or whether you just want to call the person to handle it. Plumbing issue, depends on what it is. We're calling the people. Yeah. You know, especially if you're not there, right? I freaked out and I was very, very anxious the first time that I left to go somewhere away from yes. my property yes. and I had all this stuff, this whole, I had this web, right? It was like, okay, I have this number. It forwards to this person. If this happens, just call, call this person. Yeah. You've got to have a plan. And, you know, I'm trying, like you say, Phone you tree. Know, B, B through Z, <laughs> if plan A fails, B yep, through Z, B through Z, B yep. through Z. And then now it's like, okay, I'm halfway across the country in Arizona. If something happens, okay, just call this person. Yep. Send me a bill. Yep. And then people are like, but what about the cost? I'm like, yeah, what am I going to do though? Yeah. At that point, it's that's yeah. what has to be done. Yes. And if you've got, you know, a great working relationship with your tenants, and we hope that you do, and you like and respect each other, you can work through those things. There's Those things should be hammered out. The systems, the processes, everything in the lease, in your initial conversations to see if you like and want to work together, because that's what it is. Right. It's truly what it is. So we've talked about all this, but this is just one type Yes. of real estate investing this is we're talking specifically about long-term buy and hold rentals yep you know this is what this the the regular strategy is is you buy a house you put tenants in it you rent it to them for a monthly fee mm-hmm. and they enjoy the use of your property and then when they decide or you know mutual decision mm-hmm. that you guys are going to part ways then you find a new tenant mm-hmm. and you turn over the tenancy but that's not the only way in real estate and that's what I like about real estate. And Gavin, you might echo this as well, but there's a lot of different ways. Oh, yeah. You know, you can you can be an agent and still invest. You can get long-term rentals. You can get short-term rentals. Yeah. You know, there's other things too, more, I'd say, I would call them advanced because I don't understand them all completely, but tax lien sales. Oh, yeah. There's people, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. People invest in tax liens. That's not my background, but Hard yeah. money lending. Yeah. You know, if you've got a good line on financing and money, you know, hard money lending. I know a lot of people that say I can do more with a pen than I can with a house. Exactly. You and know? that's real. And it's coming, it's becoming real again too, because, you know, in some of these cases where you have a multifamily yeah. and we're talking, I'm not talking a double or even a triple. I'm talking, we're getting to four plus units, apartment buildings, things like that. Yeah. Certainly well, in the cities, commercial that's, stuff. that's commercial stuff, commercial, residential, multifamily. And, and people yeah. have to understand that, that, that requires, cause somebody feels like, well, if I get the whole apartment building, it's four units or more, I'll be in one. But that's great but it's different financing. It's way a commercial diff- loan. Way different financing, way different terms, way different deal, you know, but you'll learn all that. But, you know, uh, 
when you get into large, large scale, that's even called, you know, real estate syndication. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. And those are, those are way different, you know, and those certified, you know, like you got to know your a, stuff, accredited investors, you know, it's like net worth of a million plus excluding your house, like those right. types of things. It's right. like, that's some advanced things. I'm not there yet. Other people do it though, you know, but those are other ways. And Gab, there's even more things, right? I mean, more ways to invest in real estate. But yeah. yes, I mean, you can go on and on and on. Um, you know, some people are concentrated, you know, on the flips and things like that. I would say, you know, I, I've always said my family's model and what we do is, um, you know, we're at the five and dime table. Then there's big rollers and bigger things. And, and yep. we're, we're not possibly going to be able to. Um, touch on all the different types of real estate investment in this podcast because you could break those down in micro episodes, you know, on and on. But I think a lot of people have that assumption, you know, out there that even if they're starting small, kind of like how Josh and I have with the residential rental units, it's not all what you think it is. You've got to have the stamina and you've got to know the laws and you have to understand how it's going to work for you. Um, especially when you're up against things that we just kind of experienced with COVID where there's a moratorium and you can't evict people, et cetera. So are you up for that? And hopefully you've got a great relationship with your tenant if you're in residential real estate investment and that's all good and it worked out for you. But you do hear horror stories where that relationship didn't work out for tenant and landlord. And so now it's an eviction process and evictions are costly. And so you got to know who you're doing business with. Yep. And that's what it is. It's it's a partnership. I'll say it again. And um, when you're at that level, you've got to think about that because it could very much ruin you too. You might be like, I'm never doing this again. Sell this thing right now for a loss. And good luck trying to sell it with a tenant in there. That's tough too. It is. It's a bit inconvenient, but it's not impossible. You know, a good real estate professional can do that for you. It's not a problem. But, you know, we've talked about, you know, what what it is, what real estate, but why why do people why do people invest? Why do people invest in real estate, Kev? Because they feel that, well, and I will tell you, there's no better, (laughs) there's never any better um, investment than real estate because all that's going on in the world that we don't have control over, um, you know, you can be on either side of the issue or how you feel about it, but with banks and stocks and investments like that, that maybe you're not so sure about that. It's a tangible asset that you're maybe also getting the passive income, but you're also growing the asset. So you're getting like a two for one if you're doing residential um, rentals. Or if you're like, no, I don't want to deal with the, the people piece of it. I would like to pick up a foreclosure or a fixer upper and take that and use my sweat equity um, if you're handy and you have the ability, or if you've got a deep pocket, work with a contractor, et cetera, um, and bring that up to a level of house that then you can turn around and sell without ever having it inhabited. So right. it's really up to you. And some people will then stay in that house for a year and maybe claim it is there so that on the other end of it, they're not paying capital gains. There's a whole game with that too. Yeah. Two out of five, you yeah. know, if you live out of it, it's, you know, the two out of five rule. If you live in the house two years out of the past five, you know, you, you excluded your capital gains. Yeah. So there's something to, to be said for that as well. So, um, yeah, so it's it's just one of those things where you've got to really know what you're getting involved with. Um, a lot of folks will still feel that um, if I got cash sitting in the bank right now and I'm not collecting great interest and it's not doing much for me, where is my money going to go best to work for me? I think that segues 
best into what I was going to say is, you know, people invest in real estate for a number of reasons. Um, but usually what they do is they benchmark, you know, if you were to just stick your money in the stock market, yeah. you know, that's probably the most passive that you could get in the stock market is index funds. Sure. And more specifically, like an S&P 500, right? Okay. Everybody uses the S&P 500. And so, you know, if you can use that as a benchmark, and I just have a little note here that, you know, S&P returns since its inception in 57 is 11.82%. Right. So if you benchmark 11.82% over the long, long, long term, you know, obviously it differs with decades, right? You can pick any swath of data and make it look a certain way. But let's just say 11.82%. Okay, let's say I want to get more than that. Yeah. How do I get more than that? Where do you get more than that? Where? Because Where? How? Know, what investing strategy yep. yields that for you? Exactly. And so, you know, people are trying to... Uh, beat the stock market or beat returns as opposed to the stock market. And uh, real estate can also be used as a hedge for inflation. Mm -hmm. So as yes. inflation, and we're seeing this now, yes. uh, inflation is going up. What else is going up? Prices are going up. Rents are going up. And so if you increase your rents, then you know they may come down a little bit, but they're probably not going to come down to whatever that pre-level was. Yeah. You're not going to fall. Uh, I agree. And homes you know, will have appreciation on them depending on what market you're in yeah. um, some more than others you probably see maybe you know three percent in this area yeah. per, per year yeah. um, compound annual growth rate of three percent you know other places such as like California right different I mean, market <laughs> astronomically uh, different you yeah. know you're talking about appreciation like crazy out there especially in the COVID years um, but yeah, that's that's what people are trying to do. They're trying to see what they can do to best put their money to work mm -hmm. um, for them and what matches their strategy, what matches and their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, so and that's what that's what it is. And some people will also use it too. you know, and we're going to get into, you know, where do you begin? We've talked about educating yourself, et cetera. You don't just go into it blindly. That's for sure. But some people that, you know, there's some of us out there. I'm not included. I don't think Josh is too. But there's some folks out there, maybe not uh, connected directly to the real estate industry, who make, quote unquote, too much money. And so they're looking for a tax shelter. Yeah. And so this is a place, too, where you might not have the expertise or necessarily the desire to be the landlord, the flipper, et cetera. But if you can find an able and willing partner who has that expertise and experience to do those things, that's somewhere where you can be collaborative and do things like that. And you see a lot of people do that. Like, I got the money, honey. Yep. I don't have I don't have the skills to get in there and do a demo and flip this, or I'm not necessarily wanting to be a landlord at this point in time. But um, if I can collaborate and partner with somebody, and that's going to be a benefit for me from an investment standpoint and a tax break thing, then this is somewhere that I can go to. Um, I think it's really smart to do that because you're going to get higher return on your investment than anything else. And one of the tax things you're talking about is depreciation, right? Yep. Is you buy a, pro a, a property and if it's a residential property, it's 27 and a half years on the structure for depreciation. And so the IRS gives you that depreciation in assumption that you're going to put that money back into the property to maintain it. Right. And so that's what that's about. Yeah. So... That's uh, just another tool. There's other tax uh, advantages to owning to owning real estate deductions that can reduce your taxable liability legally. Mm -hmm. um, 
and people enjoy those benefits all the time. And I'm thinking about small business owners too, because if, um, you know, independent contractors such as Josh and I, or small business owners, et cetera, that you can also allocate a percentage of your home if you're, if you're the owner occupant or another property that you've acquired for office space. So that makes sense too. Um, and that's a tax deduction and some, a benefit that you have by investing in real estate as well. So those are some of the reasons why, and I think, you know, if we can circle circle back, we've kind of already start, talked about it in some whiles, but how do you, how the heck do you do it? How do you get, you know, it's sometimes a monumental task, right? Because it seems like, okay, well, a house costs $200,000, you know, how the heck am I going to come up with, you know, 20% of that or 5% right. or 10% of that, 5%, where does the money, where does the money come from? I think it's, again, I'll speak from my experience because I, you know, all sorts of different people and they come at it a different way, but I think you develop a model. And when you're first starting out, you, you might not know what that model is yet. I think you develop that through experience of what works and what doesn't work for you. So I'll hear some people say, I would never not invest in a multifamily because quite frankly, one property, multiple incomes, et cetera, that's where you make money. And this is how this is going to work. One maintenance bill, one this. You it's also know? where your headaches come from. Yeah. Tenant issues. And I can tell you. So-and-so is, is being too loud. Yeah. That's not my model. Mm-hmm. My model, and I've had some uh, realtor friends and investment friends were like, I think you're crazy to do this. But it, what, it's what works for us. Um, I like small houses. Yep. Apartment-sized houses, um, and um, the, I'm willing to take that on to, because I find that in our area specifically, and we're talking about the Glow region in western New York, I think that there's a big demand for people to have a single-family house that's small and manageable. That could be a, a number of different types of tenants. They're in-between houses. Maybe they're not ready to purchase yet. Maybe they don't want to own a house. They don't want the maintenance and tax and insurances and things like that. They're happy to pay you to do all of that. I think it fits the bill for so many people. And again, uh, like Josh said, then I'm not refereeing in-between tenants that don't necessarily get along, especially if they're upstairs, downstairs, noisy, da-da-da. That's the model that works for me. Yep. Um, but you, I'm not getting the same return on investment, per se, that other people are getting. But are you dealing with the headaches? Do you have a constant revolving door of tenants? Because when that's happening, time is money. And, that's, and when I get a nice long-term tenant that loves being there, I'm okay with keeping the rent very reasonable. In fact, yep. making a deal where it makes sense because... Again, it's a relationship. You're going to be there for a long time. I'm happy that you're there. We're happy to be working together rather than spending time and money advertising, cleaning, doing repairs, et cetera, when you're turning and burning that property every year. Yeah, absolutely. And I went a little bit different, and I did the more traditional route. I saved up 20%. It took me two years. I went into the multifamily. I looked at several different houses and then you know, found one and just pounced on it and was lucky enough to get it. I, you know, my family helped me, you know, fix it up and get it started. That's awesome. Um, which was awesome. I'm so grateful for people that were in my corner and That's helped me. That's a lot me. of times how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And that sweat equity, that teamwork. It's exciting when somebody in the family, it's your first house. I mean, it's it's so cool. Yep. And they were excited for me. And they were more than happy to, to just uh, be in my corner and help me win. Um, 
because they're winning, you know, in their in their lives, and so they're just passing that on to, to me. That's what they did for me, and so I really appreciate that. Um, but you know, now that we're getting on it, you know, it's just um, we're moved out of it. We've got to re- renovate it again, and so it's it's a lot of time. But multifamily is uh, it, it's rewarding. Oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good place to start. Don't get me wrong. It's where my family started. Yep. We had a lot of multifamilies and then we just kind of, um, through experience and just kind of, you know, falling in love with the houses. That's the biggest mistake. You, <laughs> you kind of develop that sickness. We call it a sickness for houses. Oh, I've always loved that house. Doesn't mean you need to buy it, but we do that. Right. Knickknacks. Yeah. Some yeah. people are hoarders and we're, yeah. <laughs> we're collectors of houses. We like yeah. houses, but I do like that smaller single family home model because I just think it checks a lot of boxes for people. Now, am I getting, like I said, the return that everyone else is? Probably not. And am I taking on bigger yards and things like that for maintenance? Sure. But that's my model. Um, I think the multifamily model makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Um, the, the double, the owner-occupied um, uh, investment is awesome. That's what Josh did. Yeah. And there's a lot of benefits to that, Josh. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I probably didn't reap all of the benefits when I bought my house um, because I think we were just getting into the craziness that was COVID. So sure. I did a 20%, 25% actually, 25% conventional. Okay. And with no wow. contingencies, no inspections, no anything. Like I was rolling the dice. Let's do it. It worked. <laughs> it's, yeah. It worked out because yeah. it could have ruined me. Yeah. Um, but otherwise you can, if you occupy your property, you can qualify for FHA financing, which could be as little as three, three and a half percent down. You can even qualify for USDA financing, which is, which is zero, a really good deal for the buyer zero percent yeah. down. when you can do that. So yeah. if you can have zero and this, this is going to hit your, you know, when we talk about later ROI, right, is all about not putting out cash expenditure and then reaping all of that reward because right. when in, in personal side, interest is bad. But when you're having a tenant service the debt, it's kind of almost negligible. It's not. It's like a secondary point. If they're paying that, then you want to put as little money down as possible. Sure. Uh, but you can't ha- be over leveraged. You can't be overextended or over leveraged. And I think sometimes that's a mistake people make. It's like, I'm going to put no money down and then something happens and they can't shoulder the payment when it comes down. And then when you you see that happen and that's where we get the foreclosures and things like that. And so again, that's another opportunity. That's where I, someone like me swoops in because you see an opportunity. You know, the rule I was always taught by my parents, worst house, best block. (laughs) You know, that's what you want to do because then you're going to bring that up to a certain standard when you have the skill set to maybe do that work yourself you want to do as much of the work yourself if you can and when it comes time that you need a licensed professional to do that then certainly you have to do that you have to abide by code and pull the right permits and do it right and that's a model in itself too it's you know if you're trying to it depends on how quickly you're trying to scale Mm -hmm. if you're trying to scale very quickly you're going to need people to do the work yep you cannot move fast enough as a single person or even a small crew to scale that quickly you need a team you need to hire people yes it's going to cost money yeah but you need to just analyze the deal and make sure the numbers work so you better have a budget yes and you better have that all kind of outlined and and go seek the experience and expertise where you don't have it in-house 
Um, and I think there's nothing better than, and realtors know this too, investors certainly know it, you've got your go-to people. You've got your contractors on speed dial, your go-to people. Yep. And you treat them great and you pay them up front and you make sure that they're coming back the next time you have an emergency call. Because when there's a snowstorm on Christmas Eve, yeah. uh, the, the likes of which we haven't seen since the blizzard of 77, I could call my guy and he came out and he fixed the furnace. Yeah. And there you go, that peace of mind. Again, that's a relationship. So it's not just the relationship with your tenants, um, your lenders and things like that. It's all the tradespeople, if you're not indeed the trade person yourself, to make sure to keep this business afloat. Yeah. So you're depending a, on each other. There's a lot of different ways to get started. You can do it the old-fashioned way and save your money. You can... Uh, find private money. You yep. can partner with somebody, as Gavin has already said. You yep. know, hey, I've got the money, honey, but I don't have the. I don't know, have the skill. I don't have the time, or the time, <laughs> or the time, or the time. Because or someone, really the inclination, but I'll be the backer. Because yeah. again, uh, investing. Why do people invest? They're looking to deploy their money to make more money. Yeah. And so this is a strategy. Yeah. I will partner with you. We will split the proceed the profits. And in somewhere, it'll work out for both of us. And then there's seller financing. So, yeah. you know, yeah. my family's done that too. We've done that for folks. Folks helped us when we were getting started. So if somebody has a house that they want to sell and they're willing to hold the note, right? and you can work out something that's, uh, you know, callable in a couple of years, maybe it's a balloon payment at the end, all sorts of creative seller financing options, as long as it's agreed upon with certain terms um, and the attorneys you have behind that, and you know how you're going to adjust that. And work with that that's an opportunity and i think you know especially in a time now where it's tricky josh and i were talking about this in the single family context just yesterday but you know when you've got the financing that your person qualifies for and this is where it is but there's a dream and we want to help achieve the dream of home ownership yeah. in this case we want to help achieve the dream of investing do you have an opportunity with working with a seller um, to hold that financing and help you with that. I think it's few and far between because people get really nervous about that stuff now. It's got to be somebody you know, like, and trust, and are they really going to do this? What's what's nice on the other end of that, if you are the person holding the note, you get to acquire that property back if something goes pear-shaped. So in other words, I'm holding, I'm holding the financing on this. You know, it's the property that I wanted to sell, and the person can't get, you know, maybe they can't get financed or they don't like the terms of the financing through the bank, would I be willing to hold the mortgage for them? You might, as long as you know, like, and trust that person, think it's a good business decision. And if for some reason they don't uphold the terms of that or execute on time, then you still have the down payment that you've collected from them. Right. You have the payments that you've collected along the way. They have maintained the home, we hope. Um, yeah. That's that's the thing where you, it's a slippery slope. You get really nervous about that. But you do get the asset back. And so sometimes if you're a big roller or you're risky and you think it's a, a risk willing to be taken, sometimes being that seller finance in person is a good way to go for you. Yeah, and sometimes, and I would say that's probably a good strategy if you have a unique property. Sure. Um, if you don't have a unique property and it's just kind of, a, you know, your average property, there's probably no reason to do that because 
it's probably pretty popular. Mm-hmm. There's probably going to be people that want it. You're probably going to have no problem getting someone. So define unique. <laughs> it probably <laughs> not has. financeable, or those people can't be financed, or it might be that something that would qualify for commercial, and it's a certain, not a good time to get a commercial loan. Yeah, a certain okay. type of prop, a certain type of property. It might serve a special purpose. It might be in a special location. Mm-hmm. It might have some special feature Certainly. to it that only serves a purpose for a, a limited number of, of people. So th- there's a lot of examples around that in the area and, and some things that I've run into recently where sometimes the, the property is not financeable. Maybe it's a shared well with a neighboring property, for example. That's so that's weird. not bankable. It's a weird thing, but it comes up. And costly to separate. Correct. So there might be that. There might be a club or an association that perhaps that club or a mobile park, things like that, mm-hmm. where the land, you know, you own the structure, but you don't own the land. And so you can't quite get the financing for that. But you do want to be able to purchase that property, be it a manufactured home, mobile home, right. or a cottage or something that they have like a, a lease land agreement with that is an association or a club. In that case, it's got to be cash only, and not everyone's got cash laying along, around. So sometimes the seller is willing to hold you know, there's an opportunity where that comes up too. So, you know, yeah. defining unique property and opportunity. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to get get to get started, I think, but one of the threads that we've kind of that links it all together is the you have to be specific about what you're gonna do. Yeah. Um, just like any good business, you have to come up with a business plan. So you have to develop your strategy, you have to pick something, and that doesn't mean you have to stick with it. But you have to pick something that you're going to go with. And what I mean is you need to outline your criteria. Mm-hmm. What type What type of you know, investing are you going to do? What's your criteria? What's the minimum return on investment? What's the minimum cash flow that you're willing to accept? What's the minimum cash on cash return? Right. And so all of those, are you going to do single family? Or are you going to do multifamily? You know, um, pick something. Write it down. And how many hours a week do you have to devote to this? Exactly. And then <laughs> time sti- management. And then stick with What's it. What's the backup plan? Uh, yeah. Because a, a really, really, really good businessman once told me that you know, uh, a person who chases many rabbits catches none. And so if you just are have shiny object syndrome and you're looking at anything True. that will pass your screen or eyes, mm-hmm. uh, you will probably catch none of them and you will have difficulty because you're not focused. Yep. Um, just, and I use that strategy with anything, shopping for cars, doing, you know, figure out what you want. Don't just go to a lot and be like, I need a car. Yeah. Because that salesman's going to put you in the first thing that he sees that's easy to sell. He goes, this this way over here, I've been trying to... I got a live one here. Let's put them in the car and set them on their way. I've been trying to get rid of this one for months. Let's get them in it. You know. Yeah, and again, because everyone's goal oriented, that salesperson had a goal, and that if you so if you don't determine your own your own goal, someone might determine it for you. Exactly. So, um, I think that's a really wise thing. It's having a plan, doing the research, talking to investors. What do you think about this? You know, a lot of times I think you've got accidental investors in the market that we're currently in, and certainly in the previous one that was a little bit more seller on steroids. You've got first time home buyers or home buyers in general thinking, you know what, I'm okay with buying a multifamily and be an owner occupant because then I have a bit more choice control over the tenant. Number one. Number two, I'm going to have a lot of my bills and at least a portion, if not most of my mortgage paid for. Maybe that's how I get into it. And then I slide into that and I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work, but hey, I kind of liked it. And as I move on and I leverage that or I hang on to that and move on to my next property, maybe now all of a sudden I'm an accident 
an accidental residential real estate investor. I see that happen a lot because it's really how the choices that were made that that buyer was able to get into their first home and all of a sudden now they're an investor, a landlord. Yep. I think some of the most important things to do if you're looking to get started in this and is to your education. Absolutely. Um, be reading uh, trade news. Be up to date on you know things that are going on in your markets and the markets you're interested in. Learn how to and explore how to analyze different properties. When I say yeah. analyze properties, I mean go over the numbers. Uh, because that's what investing is. It's a numbers-oriented game. You right. don't just pick a house that feels nice and looks nice. Shouldn't be totally personal. Shouldn't be all emotional. No, it's it's less emotional, more numbers. Um, so you need to make sure that the numbers work. Because if you buy a house and you can't in a, in a area that doesn't command the rents that you need exactly to afford condition your, location afford your note mm -hmm. you know then you're going to be cash flow negative you're going to be losing money each month and it and doesn't make sense at and all. it doesn't make sense because at that point you might as well have just gone and bought a single family house and paid your mortgage that's right <laughs> for sure because you're not and you're not reaping the benefits of what it is to what it means to invest um, and so analyzing properties is important. It's probably mo probably the number one number thing. Number one thing. You might not all know what that means right away. And again, depending on what kind of real estate investor you are, you have a different way of coming at that. So find and seek a real estate professional or, or realtor, such as ourselves, or somebody that you know, like, and trust that does this. Yeah. Um, because they're going to give you a wealth of knowledge. And um, everybody has a different point at which they come at this. And so I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to buy that and then I'm going to flip it and I'm going to put all this money into it and I'm going to hire it out. And I'm going to do the highest end, finest finishes and all of that. Are you going to get it back out of it? If, right. if it was your own home for personal enjoyment, that would be one thing. If it's because you think that's what was going to sell, but your margins are so tight now that you're not going to, you're going to lose money on it. You're going to barely flip it. And oh, here goes the market and it's doing, taking this and now the interest rates up. You didn't buy it right then. You know, you didn't furnish it right. Maybe it's all about making it standard, buying it at the right time, being neutral, not customized with the finishes, um, and not going nuts on that and pricing it right. You've got to know those numbers. You've got to forecast within a certain percentage to make it work for you as an investor. And I don't know what you use, Gav, and you probably maybe have some proprietary stuff, but I use an app. I found this app, and it's really cool. It's called Deal Check. And deal check is right on the app store for Apple and I believe for Android as well. And it just kind of jump starts your analyzing. So it like pre-fills everything. You can do flips, you can do rentals, you can do burrs, buy, rent, refinance, you know, that stuff. See, Josh um, knows all this stuff. And, and that's what's cool. He's got a, well, he's the cool tool Tuesday guy, so he's gotta know all this stuff. Well, but and I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I don't want to spend exactly. I don't want to spend my smart. time on an Excel sheet that's building right. all these custom Excel sheets. Right. When and someone already made this, and by the way, it's free. And, and you, that's cool. And they have paid versions, but you can also, if you're, depending on what strategy you're using, say you're trying to do a presentation, it puts all these numbers into a presentation, and I can present a PDF to you that's and say, awesome. look at this project. Would you like to go in on this with me? Right. I've actually used this with a client. We've gone back and forth, and we were able to analyze live a deal. Right. And it was really, really useful. And helpful. Because, and also we're speaking the same language, we're right. including the same items, you know, oh, you you forgot insurance no it's it's in here it's right. all it's all in here we itemized it um here it all is 
and this is what kind of results you can anticipate. And it gives you all of your stuff. And you can also outline your criteria. Yep. This is the minimum cash on cash. This is the minimum return on investment. This is the minimum I want to put into this investment. This, you know, And you can set all those. And when you put all those numbers in, it'll go bing, 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 bonk. <laughs> and it'll say, nope, it's... You uh, failed this, you passed that. Yeah, it, you, it's uh, more than $50,000 to get into this. So yeah. it doesn't meet your criteria. And that's good okay. because when somebody isn't familiar with the particular neighborhood or market or micro market, I think that's really important. And if it's all about numbers, like I don't care what the place looks like. If it's going to yield this, then I want it. So it's like I'm going in with a financial blindfold and I'm going to figure it out that way. I cannot tell you that that's how I go about it. <laughs> and it's tough. And it is tough because you're like, I do not go about that way. I got to like the house. And I have a problem because then I end up falling in love with all the houses we work on. Right. There is an emotional detachment. But there's something to be said for that. If I like all those houses that I personally purchase and I'm putting people in them to rent them or I'm selling them, that that makes me feel really good because I've put my blood, sweat, and tears into it. My whole entire family has. And we love it. And then we feel so good when that person loves it too. So... Let's not kid ourselves. I'm on more of the emotional side of it. That's okay. And I look at a house that if I'm going to live in it, then I think somebody else is going to live in it. It's guttural. It's experience. It's knowing the market. It's knowing that, yeah, I love that house, but not in that area and it's not going to rent. You know when to call it though. Yeah. You you like, you you can love houses, but you can know when to call it. I know when to call it. I'm learning that. That's for sure. But what I can say is that there certainly is, I'll preach the other way that you should have your budget and think about the numbers and get on get on Josh's plan with deal check and all that but um, at the end of the day it's got to have the curb appeal it's got to make sense you've got to understand the environment around you I think about it all the time that Batavia is really uniquely positioned in our area to attract people from the metro areas and you're going to have a type of tenant or buyer that is going to say, I would love to come out here and live because I'm equidistant to Buffalo and Rochester. Um, it's a, a pretty quick commute, but the rents and the cost of living out here is 15, 20% less than it might be out there. So that's sort of the niche thing that I look for. And so if I can find that house in the right neighborhood that's going to attract that, that's kind of how I come at it. And then I'm like, okay, now let's run the numbers. <laughs> yep. Well, and I think too, that's, you know, there's a concept called forced appreciation. And so you buy a, a, a fixer upper, right? And you, you fix it up to a certain level. Yes. And then it's going to be worth more than what, when you bought it. Right. Yep. And so and then now it's a can, money maker. Yep. It's a producer. So, so now you can use that equity, um, to pull that out, you can do cash out refi, you can just do a straight refinance and pull out a HELOC, home equity line of credit. There's a ton of different ways to do this investing thing. It's yes. not one separate way. And most people, they'll they'll try one, they'll do one thing, and then they'll start slowly maybe branching out into some other things. You know, right. okay, I did a residential right. long-term rent. Or now long -term I'm curious hold. about. Now I want to kind of get into, you know, a fix. You know, let's fix something up. Yeah, or, right. or a multi-purpose site. So maybe it's commercial downstairs, right. um, and then it's residential up. Yeah, mixed use is huge. Mixed mm -hmm. use properties yeah. are, are huge. They're building them in our area. Yeah more and more clarence has some pembroke is building yeah. some we're gonna be getting uh, it yeah we're yep we are getting some as well uh it's you know and if you're not familiar with mixed use it's just commercial space downstairs you know storefronts shops boutiques uh those things and then residential residential upstairs um, which is nice because if you have residential upstairs the up and down thing you know with the noise factor right. you don't have to deal with that 
you know, unless there's someone above you. Exactly. <laughs> then, you, <laughs> But if you have a commercial building, most of the time, and probably to most modern day building standards, you have some decoupling, some different construction techniques that are going to kind of deaden that noise as well. They'll sure. take that take that into account. And it's no joke. If you're up for something like that, you've got to you've got to have the pockets and the backing on it. When you're at an investment, an investor at any level, you shouldn't really think that you're living off of that proceeds from that because all no. of a sudden, when you're a smaller investor like I am, you know, all of a sudden it needs a new furnace. It's an emergency. Are the funds available from the proceeds of that um, to remedy that situation quickly? Yeah. Because I treat each of those houses as if they are their own business in and of themselves. And so that money is going directly back into an account to pay for taxes, insurance, any repairs, predicted things, keeping up with the maintenance. The maintenance is huge. Yeah, repairs um, and maintenance. That's and right. And so those should be all self. My model, I would say, is that they have to be self-sufficient. Uh, that the rent that I'm collecting, et cetera, and the maintenance, and my, my sweat equity I'm putting into it is going to yield a bit of a profit, but also a buffer in case I have an oopsie, like emergency situation that, or a big ticket item I've been saving for, like a roof or something to maintain the property. And that's just how you set it up on the back end. You yep. have your different categories. And another uh, book, if ever anybody's looking for some education, is called Profit First. Mm. And Profit First is by Mike Michalowicz, and he sets up a great system so that because you are maybe a small-time investor and you're really spinning your wheels, and at the end of the year, you kind of get through the humdrum of spending spending and making money, you end up, when you're an accountant, you're like, well, where's my portion? Yeah. And you're like, well... It, you didn't get you, any. You showed that you made, you know, $2,000, but I don't have $2,000 in my bank account. And you're like, yeah, well, that's because you spent it. And so Profit First outlines how you should set up your financials so that it ensures that you are at least making something. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's another book to, to read if you want to make sure that you get off on the right foot. Um, there's others out there, but I just thought that was a simple that's a, a, good one. a simple read. And that's and you mentioned accountant. You better have a darn good accountant. One that's versed in, in real estate that knows how to do the stuff. Um, you know, it's 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 important because if not, then you're going to miss out on the tax benefits. Absolutely, of, of you want to have your team. We're always talking about teams here, um, uh, so you've got your team of contractors that you know, like, and trust, and use. You need to have a great accountant that you're comfortable with. You can pick up the phone, have explain this to me. How do I? How do all these tax incentives and shelters, et cetera, work? Also, your attorney. And it should be a real estate attorney. There's all sorts of different types of attorneys yeah. out there. You've heard us say this when we were working on um, you know, episodes with buyers and sellers and things like that. Um, an attorney that understands real estate. Not every attorney is, um, you know, practices real estate law all the time. And so you really want somebody that's really well-versed. Yeah, and I, I, uh, so again with the information thing and education i want to give a shout out to another podcast actually okay cool so investor podcast there is a the real estate rookie uh, okay. podcast yeah so the real estate rookie podcast is run by bigger pockets bigger pockets is another investor website but i think the cool thing about the real estate rookie podcast is it's run by a uh, buffalo well it's hosted by a buffalo native oh cool ashley ashley care very cool so ashley if you're listening Big fan. Awesome. Um, they, she is a Buffalo native. She invests in Buffalo. And then cool. she has a co-host, Tony Robbins. He's out in California. And so that's pretty cool to hear them go back and forth. But if you're looking to turn on the fire hose for investing 
uh, topics, they have some awesome stuff there. That's good to know. I'll check that out. I, I would say for all things real estate, there's so many great resources out there. Um, if you're a podcast person, obviously we are. I love listening to a bunch yeah. of different radio shows, podcast episodes, things like that. I know my family does that. My mom is infamous for going on her walk. And what are you listening to? Oh, some real estate thing. She always is. And you're like... Can't you listen to music once in a while? But again, I've told you it's a sickness. You You're get... in that lifestyle and, and you just, you <laughs> yeah, want to be better. it's a lifestyle. You want to be better. Yeah, and you wanna... always. And my mom's been doing this forever. My parents have been doing this for over 50 years and they're still learning something all the time. So being up to date on the trends and the laws and what's going on in the market is, is critically important and not just having a blind round of what's going on in real estate. To be well-versed in real estate and successful in real estate, you better know what's going on in the world. Yeah. I think. Well, you have to be versed in, like you said, versed in the trends and what's coming along because you don't want to be behind the curve or with the curve. You want to stay kind of ahead of the curve if you can um, because it could cost you a bunch of money yep. if you do a renovation on a, a failed on a, a failed investment. But, you know, I guess you learn from that too. And, you know, you and, and just because Josh and I are sitting there saying, you know, look at us, you know, we've, we have been successful in our investments doesn't mean we're not learning something that we're going to do differently. Josh and I were just talking about this the other day and the way that you go about advertising uh, for a unit that's available um, and how you're, you're vetting um, folks and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's that's the challenge that you have to be up for, too. Uh, the desire to keep learning, keep growing, uh, talking to fellow investors and getting a sense of um, how you can continue to improve your process and be a better investor. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've kind of broken down some, some apps that we use, some knowledge uh, bases that we use. Um, we kind of defined investing and what that means. We, you know different types of investing. And I mean, we haven't really broke the surface of it. There's a lot more details to go into about it. But yeah, if you're interested in getting into investing, you know, Gavin and I can certainly help you with that. We would love to help you. It's You've really... got to have a great realtor you work with. Oh, man. I and mean, we... A number one, I talked about the accountant and your contractors and your your attorney, but A number one, you've got to have a real estate expert on your team. And it gets us excited and we love to help people because really investing is about building... Investing in home ownership is about building wealth, long-term wealth, and about building successful people. And stability. Yes, and stability. And we really like to help people do that. And it makes us, you know, if I could say, it makes our heart happy. It does. To help people set themselves apart from, from you know, and achieve their goals. Absolutely. And it's all contributing to the better the better common good of the community. You it know, yep. it, it makes you feel really good when you see somebody take that fixer upper and take it to a whole new level. Um, that's in demonstrating that pride of ownership. Um, it makes you feel good when you see somebody take a historic building like Hunt did at 97 Main Street and repurpose it and develop it into something new. Um, it, it's great. It's great for the community. It's great for the everybody's fuzzy feelings. It's great for the economy. And it's a sign and a signal of stability and strength. And, and that's what being involved with real estate truly is all about, I think. It's yeah, a big vision. And you can do, if you're in a position, you can do good well doing well I love that and so you can't I'll say it again you can do good while doing well that's and right so it's important to be don't a, feel guilty when you're being successful spread yeah. the wealth and help others people um, do the same thing and so if you're a real estate investor out there or investor in general or entrepreneur um, you know I like the idea of you reaching out to somebody that wants to get involved in something like this right absolutely um, but if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Gav and I, or uh, if you want, send the podcast an email at getrealestatepodcast 
at gmail.com. Uh, reach out to us on our Instagram or Facebook. Um, get real. What is it? Get real. Get real estate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both on Insta and Facebook. Check us out. Um, and please uh, make a point to uh, get on to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Leave a review. We greatly appreciate that. To spread the word. We do this podcast because there's a lot of information about real estate, and no matter what your involvement in it is, it's an opportunity to have another free resource at your fingertips to listen to over and over again. Because Josh and I are talking about this stuff all the time yeah. and it's a language we understand um, but we know that everybody has some sort of level of or interest of real estate so use this and leverage this as an opportunity for a resource that you can help you realize your real estate goals too absolutely thanks for tuning in guys and we're gonna see you next time all right see you later thanks for listening bye Thank you for tuning in with us today. We hope to see you next time. We're going to be doing this a lot more, so to be sure to leave us a review and a rating as it lets us reach more people and lets us know how we're doing. We hope you're doing well. Cheers until next time.